welcome to the podcast edition of Coaching Through Chaos, bringing you what you need to succeed. Now, here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. And we're back. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, and this is the first episode of Season 2 of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. I'm so excited to get things going again. Dr. B and I have been on a nice break to enjoy our holidays, visit with friends and family, and gather up some great guests for Season 2. We still want to motivate, empower, and inspire you. Over the break, I had some fun and took a couple of trips to visit some extended family. My first trip was to San Luis Obispo, California. It was beautiful up there. It was my first bed and breakfast experience, and it was really wonderful. My second trip was to our nation's capital right before Christmas. It's a beautiful time of year to visit that part of the country. I absolutely love Washington, D.C., and can't get enough of the museums, the architecture, and the city's energy. I really had some fun times on both of my trips. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season as well. This season's lineup is coming together in exciting ways. Some of the topics we're going to go over are staying sane while online dating, early parenting, self-forgiveness, brain hacking for better productivity, what to do if you find yourself in a relationship with a narcissist, and of course, we're going to have our regular feature for those who put their lives on the line for us, our military, law enforcement, and firefighter-focused organizations. Something new I'm going to do this season is to read out a review during each episode. I truly appreciate them and want to share what you have to say. If you want to hear your review on the show, just leave me one on iTunes. Jumbo Shrimp says, Great podcast. This podcast is very informative and well-researched. Dr. Mullen is knowledgeable about the subjects discussed on the podcast. I learned a lot from listening. Thank you so much for that review. I really love seeing the positive regards. Before we get into today's topic, let's recap a bit of season one in case you missed it. We completed 24 episodes. We had episodes featuring Christian Moore talking about his book, The Resilience Breakthrough. In another episode, I got to explore the Virtual Reality Medical Center to learn how they are using VR technology to decrease the incidence of post-traumatic stress in our combat veterans. Darlene Lancer talked about how to break the cycle of codependency in relationships. We also heard from Paws for Purple Hearts, who are connecting service dogs with our veterans. And I flipped the tables on top podcaster Eric Zimmer of the One You Feed podcast when he talked to me about the obstacles he's overcome in his life. Detective Mike Proctor brought us all the information we'd ever need to know on stalking and how to stay safe. Financial planner Jeff Motsky talked to us about his financial guide to couples compatibility. And the Irrelationship Group gave us a new way of thinking about relationships. It was hard for me to pick which episodes to highlight here for you. For the full roster, you can find us on iTunes or on the Season 1 page at coachingthroughchaos.com. For all 24 episodes, we have summaries and blog posts to make it easy to pick which ones you want to listen to. Okay, let's get into today's topic, super commuter couples. When I first heard that term, I thought it was people who maybe lived an hour away from work. I'm a person who doesn't like to commute very much at all. So for me, an hour each way is a super commute. 
But my guest, Megan Beers, tells us that the basic definition is a commute over 90 minutes round trip. She has firsthand experience with this as part of a super commuter couple. Megan, her husband Ian, and her kids live in Minneapolis, but Ian commutes to New York every week. He's been doing this for years, and somehow they've made this work. Now, Megan and Ian are not alone in this. Megan is a therapist and began to research this topic of supercommuter couples when she became part of one. She has since found out that supercommuting is a way of life for so many people for so many reasons. Her book, Supercommuter Couples, Staying Together When the Job Keeps You Apart, is a handbook for those trying to manage their supercommuter relationships. She's going to give us some helpful tips for keeping your relationship strong, staying connected with your kids, and how to manage the unique stressors that this lifestyle can present. Let's welcome Megan Beers. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. I'm here with Megan Beers, a licensed marriage and family therapist out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, who has written a book on super commuters. Thank you, Megan, for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, I am interested in super commuters because I am the farthest thing and my husband is as well. We barely want to travel 15 minutes to get to work. So I'm fascinated when I hear of stories of people who commute very long distances. Here in San Diego, we have what's called bedroom communities, and that just fascinates me as well, that people will drive so far to get to work. I know that you have a personal story behind your interest in the subject of super commuters, but can you tell us exactly what defines a super commuter? Sure. There's a couple different definitions, but really the kind of the overall theme is it's someone, it's a new category of employee who lives in one city and travels quite a distance to another city where their job is located. So, for example, someone who lives in San Diego, but their job is in L.A. or maybe El Segundo. And depending on the traffic, which, of course, in Southern California is horrendous, they choose often to stay in the city where their employer is for a night or two and then travel back. In other areas of the country, for example, Texas, a big area of commuters is between Houston and Dallas. And again, just because the distance is so far, a lot of times either people will stay overnight or they leave really, really early in the morning and come home really, really late at night. And really the thing that ha has in common is it really limits the time you have with your spouse and your family. Yes. It made me think it's the only experience similar to that of some military couples who have these four separations at times. What is your personal interest in supercommuters? Can you tell us your experience of being part of a supercommuter couple? I can. So that's kind of how, of course, a lot of times a book is born. And that's my example. About a year after we moved to Minneapolis from Los Angeles, it was 2009, 2010, when, of course, the economy really wasn't that great yet. And my husband's position was a little shaky, and he got approached by a company in New York, which was really a dream opportunity, both the work he'd get to do and the people he'd get to work with. But it was in New York, and we had just bought our house in Minneapolis, and my family is all here, and we really weren't sure, you know, what if he gets there and he doesn't like the job, or what if he gets laid off, or there was just so many unknowns. But yet at the same time, we felt the job here was not very stable. So he started talking to some people that he knew who did commute similar to him. And we decided we would try it for a year. 
his employer was open to it and it was kind of the best option from a not a lot of great options. And so we embarked on it, not really knowing what we were doing. And the more people would hear or more I'd mentioned that we were doing this, I would hear, oh, my cousin does that or my neighbor did that for six months or, you know, like you mentioned, the military, that's a pretty common situation with deployments and workups. So kind of all happened simultaneously that we were doing it. I was hearing more about it. And then at the same time in my office, I would have more clients coming in who would mention, oh, by the way, my spouse travels three weeks out of the month because they're a consultant or they work in IT. And all of a sudden, here we are in the middle of this new wave of lifestyle. Yeah. And what did that exactly look like? So he commutes to New York. How often does he or did he come back? He pretty much always leaves on Monday morning first thing and comes back Friday night. So for us, it's a weekly commute. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it was just five years in November. So he's still doing that? Still doing it. If you would have told me that, I would, would not have believed you. I figured a year and then, you know, <laughs> but no. And I think that's something you hear from a lot of people in this situation. And we can talk more, but there's usually a couple different variations. But a lot of times... Like I said, you weigh all up the pros and cons and it works. You can make it work. I guess that's the message I like to convey to people is it doesn't have to mean the end of your relationships. Your kids are going to be totally messed up. It doesn't have to be the outcome of this sort of situation. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy all the time, but you can make it work. Right. It sounds like one of those things. It's that unknown factor. This is such a new phenomenon going on that people get scared when they hear about these kind of prospects and wonder, how are we going to maintain this? Right. So it really is having some faith in the relationship and in the belief that this is what you both want to do, I suppose, and moving forward. Yep. You mentioned in the book that at least as of 2012, there were three and a half million super commuters. What are some of the reasons for the large numbers? I know you were already talking about examples that you came across and you were hearing it in your practice. What do you think are the reasons that this is growing? Well, then that number I think is too low. I couldn't find any hard data. So what I did is when the Rudin Center did their study, they found in a lot of areas around the country, anywhere from 3 to 13% of the population, the workforce commuted. So what I did is I took a conservative approach and took that 3% times the U.S. full-time workforce. Basically, I feel like the reasons, there's three of them. One is, like I mentioned, when the economy in 2009, 2010, you, that's when you really saw an increase in this, is because people would be laid off and they would either have to be willing to drive further to a job or maybe take a job in another state or another city and their spouse was employed and they couldn't move or they couldn't easily find a new job. So think of situations where a license is required. So for me, for example, that was one of our factors is I would have to get relicensed as a therapist again in another state. If you're a nurse, if you're a teacher, any of those sorts of positions. And so there's more dual career couples that kind of dovetails. And then I think a really big factor is the housing market. You know, you find a new job in a new city, but your house is $100,000 underwater. You can't move, but you can't not have a job. So for a lot of people, that's the sacrifice they're willing to make is, okay, I will travel three days a week and come back Thursday and Friday, or I'll be gone two weeks out of the month. And I think that's a shift too for employers is being more willing to have remote workers and commuters, but definitely technology is another piece that really makes this a lot easier. You know, 15 years ago, you didn't have Skype, you didn't have FaceTime or as easily accessible email, like all the advanced I think make that a lot easier as well and helps couples stay connected as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
And so that's some of the reasons for the large numbers. And then once people get into it, what are some of the emotional obstacles that are faced specifically by super commuter couples and families? Well, obviously the biggest one is less physical time together, which I think a lot of it has to do with your personality style. And I talk about it in the in the book. Are you the type that like to connect physically? Are you an auditory person? Do you like to talk on the phone a lot? Kind of knowing your style. And if you're one that likes a lot of physical connection, it's probably going to be a little bit hard initially to kind of get used to that transition. So you need to really get creative on how to bridge that gap, whether that's more date nights when you are together, figuring out how to use Snapchat or more FaceTime. And I think a big, big piece, you know, no matter, you know, besides relationship styles is the resentment that can really rear its ugly head pretty quickly in a lot of these. The people that I interviewed, a lot of them, it turned out well, but some didn't. And typically it was resentment and infidelity were the two reasons that the relationships didn't last. And so I talk a lot about the importance of communication for these couples. I mean, any couple you need to communicate, but you really need to be diligent and vigilant about what's working, what's not working, and your expectations. Can you talk a little bit about the resentment and what that was about? Well, if you think about it, and this obviously is just one scenario, would be if one spouse is commuting four days a week and the other one is at home and they add on top of it children, basically you're a single parent. Single Mm -hmm. parent with maybe the financial support of a spouse. And so you're tired. And if you are trying to do everything all the time in a way that you would if both people were home, you're going to burn yourself out pretty quickly. So that's one thing you really need to be careful about is can you find a way to ask for help? And I think that's really hard in our society, but especially for women who feel like they have to do it all and they have to be super women. And that's kind of another part of my practice is working with high achieving women who get overwhelmed and are perfectionists and I feel like those are the at-risk people in these sorts of relationships. Another piece I get asked about a lot are the children. What about the children? Is this going to ruin our children if you know dad or mom is gone? And I don't think so. I think, again, you need to get a little creative, but it really kind of boils down to quality versus quantity. And you can have both parents home every single night, but if you're not connecting with the kids, if they're not communicating, if everybody's on their smartphones, if you're running around 15 different activities a week, there's no real solid, meaningful connection going on there either. So I share a lot of tips. Many of them I got from military families because I thought, who better to explain how to stay connected to your kid than people who may be away from each other for a year? Absolutely. I think there's so much to learn from that population. And in speaking of the kids, how do kids sometimes influence the decision to become a super commuter family? I know you had just had, I think, your second baby when your husband got his job offer. So for us, for me in particular, like I mentioned, my family lived here, and that is a huge source of support for me. So I really wasn't willing to give that up, having a nine-month-old and a two-year-old. And so that's definitely something to weigh into the decision of commuting. Do you have support? And if you don't, can you find it? Can it be a neighbor? Can it be a grandparent in the community who has extra time? For us, even if we would have followed him to New York, we would not have had any support and he would still be working insane hours. And so I knew that was a big risk for me to not have that support, you know, postpartum, like whatever, but that was really important for us to factor into. But there's also the phenomenon these days of kids being in sports year round. And so one of the families I interviewed, their daughter was a competitive athlete and they felt that the quality of program she was in they weren't willing to give that up. 
in a temporary situation either. So I think definitely the kids' involvement and the kids' interests weigh into the decision, as does pulling them out of schools, disrupting their social, not necessarily social life, but friendships, especially if it's a sort of situation where these days when you need to maybe take a one-year position at a different location, a lot of families aren't willing to disrupt everything for 12 months only to have it come back to where they started from originally. Right. That's what I was thinking when you were saying that is that sometimes, you know, you start these things and you don't know how long it's going to go. As you said, you had no idea it would go for five years for you so far. So taking in the whole family's well-being is really important. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen, bringing you what you need to succeed. Let's go to some problem solving for super commuter couples. With all the things that can affect the relationship in normal everyday life, and then you add that commuter component onto it, how can super commuter couples manage stress? Well, I kind of alluded to it before. The big one is learning how to ask for help. And obviously with the childcare part, but I think it's important to even the little things in quotation marks. So for example, we have a lawn service. They mow our lawn, they shovel our driveway. That's two hours every weekend that my husband or I would have to be out there doing that. And our time is really valuable. And so for us, Yes, we're paying a little bit more than if we did it ourselves, but I feel like it's an investment in our relationship and our family time. It's important too, when we talked a lot about the people who are at home finding ways to relieve stress, you know, whether that's a massage or book club or exercise regularly. But the commuter on the road definitely needs to find their way of handling stress because traveling is not fun. Flying is terrible, trains can be crowded, you know, and you're living out of a hotel room potentially sometimes. So it's important for them to figure out what works for them. One of the people I interviewed, he was in a running club. He happened to be at the same place every week. And so for him, that was his social connection and his exercise. And I think a really important part of the couples that I found were successful were they were really knowledgeable and diligent about the reentry period which is what I call the time when the couples come back together. Okay. Because typically when we talk to these couples, being apart sometimes really isn't that difficult. You get into a routine for couples who have a interest and support network outside of the relationship, which I think is important. They actually are okay when they're apart. It's that when they come back together, especially when there's children, that's when the fights can happen because one person has a routine and the kids are used to mom or dad doing it one way and then the other parent comes home and wants to do it a different way. And sometimes it turns into the dynamic that divorced parents run into, where it's, they call it a Disney dad situation. Yes. The dad wants it to be all about fun and games and let's play, 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 where the spouse who's been at home is like, I have this huge to-do list. Like, I need help. And so that's when the conflict happens. Right. And that management of the quality over the quantity and figuring out how to get that balance in there as well, it sounds like. Now I'll talk to families about, can you cut out the number of activities your children are in? And people don't like to hear that. I know. <laughs> they don't. They don't like to hear it. But, you know, instead of being in soccer and swimming lessons, can you do one and then another one later? And I think inherent in this is it always has to be reevaluated. Your kids go through different developmental stages. 
your time fluctuates throughout the year. And as long as you realize that change is inevitable and you need to move with it, I think that is really useful too with these couples. You need to expect unexpected and be flexible. Yes. And I think that probably is one of the best traits that a couple can have when dealing with something like this. And then we have the kids who are also coping. So the parents have some stresses to manage. How can super commuter parents help their kids cope with the constant absence of the parent? So I think a lot of it depends on the age of the child. For example, a two-year-old has a harder time with the concept of time, obviously, than a 10-year-old does. Mm -hmm. So we've done different things throughout the five years. So when they were little, we would have them do like a little journal where each day we would jot down just like one sentence of what happened during the day because those little things you get, you forget. So by the time dad comes home on Saturday, it's like, oh, I forgot that so-and-so had a super fun play date, whatever. Some of the military examples, one that I liked in particular was you take a jar and you put kiss-filled candies in there, Mm -hmm. one for each day that the commuter's gone. So each night they get to eat one piece of the candy so they can visually see the jar getting more empty. And when they eat the last candy, that means dad or mom is home the next day. That's adorable. (laughs) I think that's a really fun one. And I think one family should be aware of if they're entering into this is people like, oh, Skype, do you guys Skype every night? It doesn't work all the time. Kids get in the routine and sometimes out of sight, out of mind actually works better for them than to be interrupted in the middle of homework and be reminded that dad's not home. So again, you kind of have to play around with that. Some families like to set up the structured calls. Others find it's more disruptive. So again, give yourself permission to kind of play around with that. And another thing my husband does that the kids have really liked is he will take pictures where he's at, the little interesting things he sees during the day or coworkers or what, whatever, and it turns them into a postcard. So they get a little oh. piece of mail dad of a picture of something that's going on in his day-to-day life. So it's just another way to connect. That's really great. And the more you talk about how you and your husband have structured this and coped with it. Bumbled through it. <laughs> but what it's showing too, though, is that both people need to be really keen on how important keeping up the relationship actions are. My next question is about themes in the relationships, because whenever we have new populations of people emerging, we usually see themes in the relationships. I'm sure you've found some, and I'm wondering, what are some common themes that you found in super commuter relationships? So I mentioned a couple of the kind of characteristics as far as like how they handle the reentry and how they communicate. But I think what I also heard in the successful ones one in particular that's kind of striking me now is this woman who really talked about how they were supporting each other's dreams because she really wanted to stay in Costa Rica. He needed to go back to work in Southern California and he didn't make her come back with him because he knew that that was a really important thing for her to stay there. And so he was willing to do the commute. She was willing to be separated in order to fulfill that for a while. And eventually she did decide to move back. But ironically, and you'll appreciate this, she moved to Santa Monica and he still works in Orange County. And so they're still separated three nights a week because of the, <laughs> it's like they're back in the same area. So I think it's really about that, honoring each other's hopes and dreams, which I think is really important to model for our kids too. Yes. And so that was kind of really inspiring, that particular story. The people I interviewed in South Africa, it was a similar situation. The mother was commuting back and forth between Cape Town and Johannesburg, and the dad stayed behind in Johannesburg with the two sons. I think it was like a 16-month temporary sort of separation. And the whole goal was to get the family to Cape Town, which is much safer than Johannesburg. So there was this common goal of the family, and they viewed it as an adventure. 
that's a big theme too, is these people who do well and who are the most happy view it as an attitude of opportunity and gratitude versus listing all the horrible things because of the commute. And I think that's a big deal in a relationship. Yeah, a positive perspective on the situation as opposed to, oh no, how are we going to manage this? It's what is it going to bring us as far as adventure? Exactly. An opportunity. And another one, this couple was one of the first ones. He's been doing this for over 20 years. And what he said is you can't expect, and this kind of goes back to expectations, that each of the people in this community relationship are going to have it easy at the same time. Like There's going to be times where it's harder on the commuter and easier on the one at home and vice versa. So you really have to expect the ups and downs and be supportive of each other in the ups and downs and, again, communicate that. So one tip I share with people is, for example, when you finally do have a phone call between each other, just take a second to kind of check in before you launch into the call. Say, hey, how was your day or how you doing? Is this a good time for you to talk right now? Because an example I share of ours is one time he called me and it was a terrible day. I'll just say nine-month-old and two-year-old and you kind of know right there. <laughs> um, and he started launching into this amazing party he just came from at a New Yorker opening or some fancy schmancy thing. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm covered in vomit and the dog just threw up. But, you know, it's like. Right. And you're supposed to hear about him at a party. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so if you can kind of get used to those habits of like just a quick check in before you launch in or another easy one to do is, is figure out how each of you likes to come back together when the commute is over. Do you guys want to you know, hug and kiss and have this big fanfare at the door? Or does the commuter need 10 minutes just to kind of decompress from flying for five hours? Just those little ways of coming back together that kind of respects where each other's at emotionally. Yeah. So that's some great advice for the couples with the distance between them. So check in with the phone call about yeah. how their day is to kind of see if they're in a good space for listening to what's going on. And the reunions that they have, yeah. kind of figure out what they want. Any other advice you'd give for super commuter couples that are listening or for people thinking about getting into it? Yeah, well, that's another piece. I have questions in the book for both current commuters and ones that are considering it. And one that I think is really helpful, like I mentioned, you know, listing the benefits because it's really easy to go to all the negative, like what's going to be really hard. I think it's important to list what's going to be hard because that's where you troubleshoot preemptively kind of your defense and offense strategy. But really figuring out one one area, which I think you'll appreciate as far as couple conflicts, is if you, the spouse at home, or even the commuter, needs help with a particular area, I ask them, what of your duties or responsibilities stresses you out the most? So I have them name it. And then I say, can you give that up? Can you either ask your spouse to do it or hire out? And if you're going to ask your spouse to do it, can you let them do it in the way that they prefer to? And the example I use is a dishwasher. Can they load the plates on the top or do they have to be on the bottom facing to the left? You know, so it's, can you let them do it in a way that they truly can take it over or do you have to micromanage and you're going to end up criticizing it? That's where the resentment can flare up. Yes. So really kind of figure out what your stress points are. Can you figure out a way to kind of divide that between the two of you? And if not, hire out. Figure out for the ones that are considering it, kind of get an idea of how you like to communicate and how you like to check in with each other. And then try it and see how it goes. And it may not work. You may have to reevaluate that. Yeah, so start practicing while you're still together some of the things that you're going to try out apart. Yep, and I'm a big fan of yearly getaway, just the two of you, or a, a monthly date night. And it doesn't have to be, be a grand affair. It can be something as simple as a night out in a hotel in your own city. 
go to dinner and just not have the stress of flying or traveling and just really get back together. Right. Just some of that concentrated couple time. There's no kids interrupting. There's nothing around. Very good. Well, Megan Beers, thank you so much for being with me here on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Now, the book is Super Commuter Couples, Staying Together When a Job Keeps You Apart. Megan, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, meganbeers.com. And the book is available pretty much where any books sold, you know, brick and mortar, you know, ask for it at your favorite bookstore or online at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, iTunes, both in paperback and ebook format. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Megan, for being with me on the show. This was a great interview. Thanks. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. Thanks, Megan, for all the wonderful information. I'm constantly reminded of how resilient and strong some couples can be in light of unfamiliar and stressful circumstances. You'll find links to Megan's website and her book with today's blog post on supercommuter couples. That wraps up episode one of season two of the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, there are a few ways for you to support us. The first two are absolutely free. The first way to support us is to share an episode you like with a friend or on your social media pages. The second way is to leave us a review on iTunes. And as I said, I'll be reading out the reviews on the show this season. And the third way is through our pledge page. We have recently launched a Patreon page, which is a fundraising page for creative projects. On that page, you can pledge a monthly amount starting as low as a dollar a month to support us. That's just $12 for the entire year. After you pledge more than $5 a month, though, there's a tiered reward system with rewards that range from personal shoutouts on the show for your support, a Coaching Through Chaos t-shirt, or Skype calls with me. You'll find the link to our Patreon page in today's blog post. I want to thank Dr. B for my audio engineering and artwork and BennettSullivanMusic.com for my theme music. I'd love to hear from you between episodes. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Colleen Mullen and on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos. Of course, you can stay up to date on the latest episodes and blog posts and get extra free information, including my ebook with 100 tips for living a happier, healthier life by signing up for my mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com. Okay, well, that's it for me this week. I hope you find your calm on the other side of your chaos. Have a wonderful day.